Thank you so much. It is uh, it's fascinating for me to, to listen as we have had such a difficult week this last week to listen how God is so encouraging and such an awesome God. Thank you so much. We have been having a lot of different people coming through the platform and speaking with us, uh, speaking, uh, sharing with us. And today we have an individual that maybe most of you don't know, and I thought I would kind of have him come here and answer some questions for us so that we know who he is. So, Joel Navarro, mm -hmm. uh, you're from Spain. Correct. What are you doing here? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, um, well, my wife and I are currently uh, living in Barron Springs, and I'm um, doing my, my, getting my Master's in Divinity at Andrews University. So. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Amen. Is your wife here with you today? Yes. The, the beautiful blonde lady beside uh, Nick, that's, that's my wife. Well, welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming. Do you have any relatives here? Because uh, you look like somebody I know. I do, I do. You see, everyone that's with my wife. <laughs> so John Paul, Deb, and Alex, and, and Nick, yeah. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic. So. Mm -hmm. Well, we are very pleased that you have uh, taken some of your time mm -hmm. to come and, and spend with us. Well, thank you for having we me. appreciate it's, you coming. I'm, I'm humbled. Thank you, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, welcome. Yeah, I was, I was remembering that the last time I was here in this pulpit was uh, 11 years ago. Um, singing for VBS, trying to help or doing like I was helping um, my uh, dad. Uh, so, so, yeah, this is very special. My English was a lot worse too, so I, <laughs> I hope that you will, uh, sometimes my, my brain, you know, when you speak through languages, your brain starts crossing things around. So if something sounds funny, uh, forgive me, okay, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, before I start sharing the word with you, I want to share a bit of a disclaimer or a, a warning. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, a lot of times we go to the gym, especially at the beginning of the year after we have our bellies full of Christmas food. We go to the gym and we, we want to start working out and, and looking healthy and hopefully a bit, you know, muscly or toned or whatever. And, and, you know, you see these pictures on the wall sometimes of these beautiful people, um, you know, that they're just blessed with good genetics and, and apparently they're just naturally work out. I don't know. They wake up like that. But, you know, they just look fantastic. And, and a lot of times, when we look at those people, at least if you're like me, you just give up and go back home. <laughs> now you're like, I, I, this is discouraging me. I don't want to be like that. Uh, I, I'm never going to get this, so just get back home. Uh, I don't want this sermon to be like this, all right? I know that the sermon, the, what I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm not preaching at you. I'm sharing with you. And it's not for you to do it like this, picture on the gym, get discouraged, go back home and think of how terrible you are. But it's for me first to be encouraged and hopefully it will encourage you as much as it has encouraged me, okay? Uh, so just remember that, all right? Okay, so I want to start by sharing a story with you, a story that I try to see if it was um, real or not, or if it was on the internet or not, but I don't know. It's not on the internet, couldn't find it. Uh, could find similar stories, but not that one. And this is a story about a zoo. Okay. Apparently, uh, years ago, there was, um, when they had less security measures, uh, there was a zoo in a city, and, and one summer day, 
they had a big storm, okay, a big storm, and um, you know, houses were destroyed, uh, government, government buildings were broken down, and uh, there was a lot, there was floods, there was a bit of everything, and so the the, the zookeepers couldn't make it to the zoo that day. They couldn't do anything to really protect the animals until finally the storm calmed down and they arrived a day later. And when they arrived a day later, there was a big surprise for them. Uh, the zoo was destroyed, definitely destroyed. But what surprised them was to see the animals. You see, the animals were not, you would expect after this, you would expect finding a I don't know, a giraffe in the park and then a, a monkey on the mall or whatever. But no, they were all in the zoo, but they were acting like if nothing happened. You see, the fishers were swimming in the water, the dogs above the water, walking, swimming around. You had giraffes eating, trying to eat some apples on the tree. Then you had a, a lion taking a nap on a piece of broken wall. And you just, the animals were just there. They weren't hurt. They weren't running away. They were just in the zoo, like if absolutely nothing had happened. Their home was in ruins, everything was destroyed, but they weren't aware of that. They were just simply in the zoo, like the day before, unaware that their house was destroyed. And now I wonder, and I want to ask you, does this happen to us? I believe that we're exactly like them. You see, we live in a world in ruins that is... Um, completely different for, from what God intended it to be. You know, God prepared us a home and, and a life to live, but it's so far away from that. Sin destroyed it so much that we can say clearly that this world is in ruins. However, we try to be as comfortable as we can. We have gotten comfy. We think that, um, you know, we, we think that getting a good job, a good house, a good family, which all those things are very good, but that's our, that's our goal in life. And so we're getting comfy. And we tell each other that um, the quicker we, we convince ourselves that we're okay, that this is home, and that, you know, things are how they are, and sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes they're not, but you can make it as pleasant as possible, and it's all right. We're getting comfortable, and we have gotten comfortable in our ruins. And if not, just want to put an example again. Think about it. The biggest biggest events of this world that gathers, you know, humanity worldwide are things about comfort. And if you want to think of it, think of Star Wars. You know, Force Awakens, everyone was super good about keeping all the spoilers under wraps until everyone could watch the movie because you, you don't want to ruin Star Wars. You can do a lot of things, but not that. Why? Because we care about comfort. We have the Super Bowl, we have movies, we have uh, politics, and this, this year they're as amusing as ever. And then we also have... Um, tons of novels, books, everything that we, we may think of to get us to sit down, get comfortable, and see our cares fly away. All right? And I believe the Bible tells us about this. If we look together in Revelation 17, right, Revelation 17, um, no, sorry, Revelation 3, 17, the first part of the verse, all right? Now the second part. We're just going to keep it with the first part. Revelation 3, 17 says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired health, and I don't need a thing. Isn't that how we would like to feel? I mean, what's wrong with that? We like to feel like that. No one likes to feel, oh, you know, I still need this, or I don't have enough money to pay the bills. We like to think that we're rich, we have understood everything, we have gotten everything in control, and there's no need for a thing. And 
the problem is while this happens, while we are running after comfort, a lot of times our world starts w falling apart. And, you know, we neglect our families, we neglect our church, we neglect our job, our duties as, as men and women that are created by God with a purpose, and the world starts falling around us. And we're not aware of it because we are sitting in our couch trying to be as entertained as we can. But now, Christmas just passed, and, and I don't know if you know this, Carol, you know, we sing about uh, tidings, good tidings of comfort and joy, right? And if you look at me, uh, the, the, the scripture reading in Jeremiah 31, 13, okay, in Jeremiah 31, 13, we see um, the prophet says, the young woman will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn God, God will turn their mourning into gladness, and I will give them comfort and joy. And so you say, wait a minute, the Bible is also talking about comfort. Okay? And then we see Matthew 5, 4. It says, and we know these are the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, are we, are we leaving God's promise, God's promised comfort in our lives? Or are we falling dangerously and comfortably asleep? This is the question that I want us to ask ourselves today, okay? And I want to start by, by admitting at least my own state. And what we've read in Revelation 17, in the first part of the verse, it describes perfectly my state. I got it. And I want to feel like I got it. I want to feel like I'm in control of my life, that I have a bank account that starts getting fatter and fatter, that I have a good family where everything seems fine, that I have a good house, that I'm successful in my studies, that everything is just fine. I like to control my life. I like to think that I am rich and I am in need of nothing. And as long as, at least for me, as long as I have something to entertain me, I have money in my pocket, I have good health and everything seems fine, no one is going to convince me or take me out of that comfort that I so much seek. Um, and and I, I, this is a good story for this. Is I remember um, when, we were in, when I was living in Spain, Spain went through a, a huge um, economical crisis. And guess what? It was at the same time when the soccer national, the national soccer team of Spain won everything. Started winning World Cup and, and European Cup and this and that. So everyone that was complaining about not having money, not having this and not having that, suddenly everyone was happy and forgot about the lack of money. Why? Because we like comfort. As long as everything seems fine, as long as we're entertained, it's all right. There's no problem. But look, and, and now this is the part that we don't like. Let's look at the second part of the verse of Revelation 3.17. First it says, you say you're rich, you don't, have, you don't need anything, but then in the second part it says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Um, it's kind of embarrassing, right? This is the moment where we walk out of the gym and never go back, right? Uh, it's pathetic. I mean, we are pathetic. We, we look pathetic. We think we got it. We think we're fine. We're comfortable in our ruins, but we're like this giraffe, like this monkey jumping around broken walls in the zoo. We're not aware that we're living in ruins and we're getting comfy, but we're, this is not what we were supposed to be. This is not what we were supposed to be. Um, we're far from God and far from anything that he intended for us. Um, now, what happens when we reject a help that we need? 
mean, we always give this example, right? If I'm bleeding out and I go to the doctor, or, or rather say a doctor comes to me and say, hey, you need help. And I'm, I don't think why. I need, do, why do I need help? Stop bothering me. Why do I need help? I don't need help. I'm fine. Eventually, I'll die, right? It's common sense. The same thing happens to us spiritually. As long as we get comfortable in these ruins and we're not aware that we're not rich, that we don't, we're not in abundance of things, but that we're actually in a very pitiful state. We're going to continue like that. And the more we continue like that, the more we're hurting ourselves, and the more our families, our church, our work, everything that we love and that we cherish, and that we have the illusion of controlling, falls apart. Because we're not aware of the danger that we're in. And, and because we're not aware, we think we're fine, and we think we can control and, and do things in a very good way and, and live comfortably, um, we get stuck in a spiral of trying and failing, trying and failing. I try to love my wife, but I can't because I do it away from God. I try to love my family, take care of my kids, but I can't because I'm away from God. So we get in this spiral of trying and failing away from God, thinking that we're getting comfy in this life, thinking that this is the life that we were supposed to be, unaware that we're getting, that we're getting every day worse. So now, before I depress you completely, um, let's read for the third time Jeremiah 31:13. What does God tell us? It says, the young woman will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. In other words, they'll be so happy, it doesn't matter if their bones hurt, they'll still dance. And then it says, I will turn their mourning into gladness, and I will give them comfort and joy. And this, to me, is the best news that I can receive in my life, because this is telling me that I'm not... I don't have to, to keep deluding myself. I don't have to convince myself that this is the best I can get and that it's okay and that I just have to accept everything. And this is also telling me that if I realize that I'm naked, poor, wretched, and pitiful, I'm not stuck like this. There is hope. There is comfort, promise. Now, if you pay attention, I read before also Matthew, and Matthew says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Jeremiah says, I will turn the mourning into gladness so who are the ones that receive comfort not the ones that think that the rich are in need of nothing but the ones that are mourning all right now why are they mourning and and i just have to ask ourselves why are we mourning and we know and everyone has circumstances in their life everyone sadly there's no one that has no reason to mourn uh, problems with our marriage problems with our families problems in our church, problems with our health, problems with our past, fear for the future. I mean, you name it. We all have things that are crippling our heart and soul. And, and we are yearning for the life that we were created to be and that we're not living anymore. We're yearning for this world before it was in ruins. And we want to think that we're living as if the world was not in ruins. And we're yearning for this life that we don't have. And for those people, for, for each and every one of us, God promises comfort. I like how uh, C.S. Lewis says it. Um, he wrote uh, one day, he says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. All right? You understand? So if this world that you're living in cannot satisfy the deep desires of your heart, is because you were probably not made for, for this life, for this world. You were, probably for something, uh, you were probably made for something better. And that comfort that God 
promises for everyone that mourns, that comfort is taking us back home. It's taking us to the life that we were supposed to live. Now, uh, the question is, how is this comfort possible? Or we know that God is offering comfort, but who brought it? Who made it possible? And so let's look together in Matthew 121. Matthew 121. says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins, from the sins that make us mourn, that make us deeply sad and deeply wretched. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. For those sins, Jesus came to save us. And then, remember also Paul. I don't have the text here, but Paul says, Jesus is the author and the consumer of our faith. So he is the reason why we hope. He is the one that started having the idea of saying, you know what, I'm going to create these people. I'm going to give them life. And yes, things are going to go south, but I will give them comfort. And he not only has the idea, but he makes it happen. That's why he's the consumer. He is the one that says, I will give them comfort, and I will be their comfort. I will bring this comfort to earth, and I will offer it to each and every one of them. And so Jesus is the reason we have hope again. Uh, he failed, he, he, sorry, we failed, and he had victory. So he gave us his victory. In other words, every moment that destroys our lives he reversed it and gave us victory. Where we failed, he was victorious. And so now we can follow him. And so if you remember, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, right? He says, I'm the light of the world. But then what does he say also? He says, now you are the light of the world, right? And so we are kind of like mini Jesus, mini disciples. Jesus comes and fixes the ruins of our lives, all right, of each and every one of us. But now he's gone. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. What for? He says, now that you have received this comfort, now you have to comfort other people. Now you have to share it. Look at this. And this is why I entitled uh, this sermon of today, um, uh, you know, Repairers of Ruins. Let's look at Isaiah 58, 12. Isaiah 58, 12. It says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Now, we're going to see how this happens. But one idea that I want you to have clear is that God came to rebuild the ruins of your lives, to start putting together what sin destroyed in each and every one of us. But now, in this verse, we're told that we can be called repairers of ruins. The same thing that Jesus did for us, we can do for other people. Now, how can we do that for other people? And so, we Adventists like to come up with a lot of uh, you know, deep theological explanations or, or very simplistic. Now, I'm going to try to give you a third one, not because I'm very smart, but because I try to look at the Bible a, little bit, a bit more. And so, Isaiah 58 tells us, how we can repair the ruins around us. So Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 14, okay? 6 to 14. 
All right, so in this chapter that I invite you to um, study at home because it, it's very valuable, um, very, very um, adequate for us today. Um, the prophet is talking to, to the people of Israel. And in the first part of the chapter, he's describing everything that's going wrong with them. Everything that they're doing, that they're pretending to do, they're pretending to look for God, they're pretending to want to do his will, but he says that eventually, uh, at the end of the day, you know, they oppress their slaves, their discussions end up uh, with fights, and even though they're, you know, by mouth they're worshiping God, their heart is far away from him. And so he's talking, uh, in a way, he's talking about the fasting, the, the real Christian life, okay? So this is what we're talking about here. In verse 6, he says... Um, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. And if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fail. You people, Okay, so we'll just want to leave it there because I already read the, the 14 part. And then he says, your people will start rebuilding the ruins. Okay, so what does it mean to rebuild the ruins? It means to go outside, to, to get out of our couch, to stop getting comfortable, to go outside and do for everyone else the same thing that Jesus has done for us. That's what it means to start rebuilding the world. You see, God's comfort is not one that makes us sit down and be like, I am saved. I am happy, I am clean. There's nothing I can do to make myself more saved. So no problem, just relax and live your lives away. You know, live your, your, just see your, your worries fly away. No, the comfort that Jesus gives us when he came to the cross, died for us and restored our lives and gives us a hope of a better future and of going back home is that we are to do the same thing for everyone else. And that does not mean necessarily give Bible studies, which is good, but it simply means sometimes pay attention to what people need is there someone that doesn't have clothes give them clothes is there someone that doesn't have food give them food is there someone that feels lonely be their friend is there someone that is destroyed by drug abuse destroyed by by addictions whatever it is be there because that's what jesus did for each and every one of us so be there do the same thing and the beauty of it is this is the life that we were supposed to be so when we start living the life that we were created for, of love, of unselfishness, of care for everyone else, we start becoming the creatures that we were supposed to be. So in other words, as we imitate Jesus and become Jesus for other people and start rebuilding their ruins, we're allowing Christ to continue rebuilding us. See, so it's, it's just a beautiful process. Um, so, and remember, and I'm, as I told you, this is not something, I'm not going to be speaking much longer, but... Uh, Jesus said, follow me, okay? Why did he say, follow me? Because he's our example, right? Not only in his relationship with God, but in his treating, the way he treated other people. And now the beauty of it, you know the story about the footsteps in the sand and, 
and all of that. So we, we, are, we don't have to make new footsteps. We're not making our own journey. We're not, invent, we're not inventing Christianism. All we have to do is look at Christ and walk in his footsteps. Follow what he did. Did what he did. Be, be Jesus for other people. And, and, and allow, you know, have the, enjoy the privilege of rebuilding the world with Christ. Now, if you're like me, you probably feel helpless. And you probably feel very inadequate to be Jesus for other people. To rebuild the ruins in other people's lives. Because you may look at yourself and think, well, you know, what about mine? I, 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 well, who am I you know, to, to do that for, for other people? But this is the beauty of it also that we have read in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is full of promises. Of telling, uh, it, Jesus is telling us, if you do this, this, and this, this is what will happen to you. Let's read it. In verse 9, Isaiah 58 verse 9, it says, You will call and I will answer. How beautiful is that? A lot, how many of us complain that you know, we pray and God doesn't listen? Or we, we've, been, you know, we've been wanting this, and where is God, and what is He doing? Why is He ignoring me? Why is He giving me the cold shoulder? Well, this says that if we start looking at ourselves, in, in, in Spanish there's an expression that sometimes... You know, the kind of attitude is you're looking at your belly button. It's like, me, 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 okay? So when we, st- when we stop looking at our belly button and we start looking at other people and, 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 and what the needs of other people, spiritual, physical, emotional, then God says, you will call and I will answer. Why? Is God saying, until you behave, I'm not going to listen to you? No. He's saying, by paying attention to other people, you're getting in a situation where you can actually listen to me, where, can, where we can actually communicate. Look at verse 10 says, your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Now, I like this, and you have to pay attention, because if you don't, you just read it very fast, you, you miss it. He says, your night will be like the noonday. There's nothing brighter than the noonday. So he's saying, your night, your, 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 your bigger mistakes, your, your, uh, how clumsy you feel, your, uh, your lack of capacity to, to be useful, if you surrender it to me, if you let me use you, it doesn't matter how clumsy you feel, how inadequate you feel, your night will be like the noonday. How awesome is that? Right? So it's not that we have to be awesome at helping people. It's that we just simply have to let God help people through us. And then look in verse, um, verse 11. It says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land, and He will strengthen your frame. In other words, as long as you care for other people, you don't have to worry about yourself. Because God will give you everything you need. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is caring for everyone else that makes the kingdom with you. And then in verse 12, um, actually, no, this is still verse 11. It says, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. How beautiful it would be if at home our family looks at us, and instead of looking like a dry well or... um, I don't know, a boring painting. We look like a well-watered garden, full of, full of things to give, full of joy, full of generosity, full of life. This is what we're supposed to be, at home, at church, at work, whatever we are. This is what Jesus was like. This is why everyone loved him, except, except everyone that didn't want to love him. But everyone that needed life was able to find, him, find it in him. And now, as a conclusion... How does this finish? Eventually, if I, 
if I acknowledge that I'm living in ruins and that Jesus died for me on the cross to repair those ruins, to start rebuilding them. And so I understand that I have the privilege of collaborating with Christ and rebuilding the ruins of other people. How does this story finish? And we have it in Matthew, Matthew 25, verse 34 to 36. This is a story that we know already. Um, you know, we have the goat and the sheep on one side, and it's the, the day of the final judgment. We're coming home, and everyone is before God. And so I want to just simply look at what God tells one group. He says, Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Why are the doors of heaven open to each and every one of us? Because we share what Christ did for us. Um, I think as Adventists in general, we need to put our priorities straight again. Um, a lot of times, daily, we've been spending time, energy, money, and effort in arguing about, about beliefs or about things that, I don't want to get on the debate, may be secondary or primary. But, you know, our mission is not to all agree. Our mission is not to all do the same thing, believe the same thing, be comfortable with everyone doing everything our mission is to be like Jesus. Our mission is to share that. And that is hard. And we'll rather sit down and, and argue about ordination or diet or whatever it is because we get to sit down and stay comfy. But once we become like Jesus, we have to get up and start looking at people that may be scary, smelly, that may be doing the wrong choices that we may feel like judge because, you know, because why are they there? Why are they doing that? Being like Jesus is our mission. And that's what we're supposed to be. Jesus got out of heaven, the most comfortable place in the universe, to die for us. And so I think we are called to get out of our pews and of our couches and look out for other people. Be Jesus for other people. All right? Amen.